I'd like to welcome them to non-league podcast. A slightly different introduction this week uh, before the show. It's just to say there's a few problems with the internet connection here in Madrid, so I've tried to clean this up as best I can. There could still be some issues, but uh, I, I really hope you still enjoy it and get something out of it. So uh, here it goes. Well, yeah. Hello, and like. Everyone to another podcast episode 96. Um, I finally watched a game of football, but probably not our definition of non league. It's Christian Smith sitting over here in Madrid this week. Yeah, well, it's only us two this week because Rob's ill and uh, James has had a new little Bartleby to join the clan, so uh, he's taken a, a well earned rest with the little one. Uh, Finley Jacob, uh, who's coming on. So uh, it's a uh, lots happened in the in the week since we, we last spoke. There's been some uh, interesting developments in non-league. Uh, but uh, first of all, Dave, uh, what did you get up to this weekend? Who you been to see? I uh, I was um, over at the Shea, uh, where I saw Jim Harvey lose his first game as Halifax boss. Actually, two uh, 0 defeat against Forest Green. Um, very controversial game, and the ref was at the centre of everything. Um, Forest Green got a penalty about 20 minutes in. For people weren't sure whether it was a supposed handball or a tussle in the box or whatever, but it was very contentious. And then Halifax had two penalties, decent penalty shouts, turned down in the following couple of minutes. Um, so the game really swarmed on that. FGR played well. Uh, Darren Carter had a super game as did Pipe, and um, Parkin got the first goal. His penalty was saved, and then nice nice finish from the rebound. And the second was a lovely goal on the half hour. Uh, break down the wing from uh, Keenan Marsh-Brown. Lovely ball across to Freer, who just took in at the far corner. Um, Halifax battled hard to get back into it, but didn't have too many chances, and Forest Green looked dangerous whenever they came forward. So um, probably a deserved win for the away side, but obviously... Uh, given a helping hand by some of the decisions. Yeah, it was a, it was a home side victory that I got to see as I was at the Bernabeu um, watching um, Real beat the Atletico Bau 4-2. So it was uh, interesting for me to actually finally get to see a game, but uh, not the level that I normally would watch. I saw you met Megan Rapino. I did. Um, I was just hanging around in the bar area and thought that looks like uh, Megan Rapino. And then I said to Libby, "I'm sure that's Megan Rapino." And so she looked and said, mm, "Yeah, it could, it could be." So I just went up and uh, asked her, and she said, "Yep." Uh, had a little photo, uh, and then just left her. She's over there with uh, her other half, uh, enjoying the football and having a look around. So it was a, it was a not often you could say that you've uh, met a World Cup winner uh, and Olympic gold medalist as well, and Olympic silver medalist. So it's, uh, she's got a lot of pedigree there. Um, also, player of the year for Seattle, and I believe a USA player of the year for the, in the women's game as well. So she's got a lot of credibility. But uh, I just I just have to say before we move on too much, uh, I think you've put in here as well, uh, Dave. Three wins in a week for Kitty. Um, they're trying to ruin the ruin my thing of saying that they were dead and buried because they're trying their damnedest now to get out of it. 
but I can't, I couldn't vote for them again to be team of the week because it's, uh, I think your, your vote for team of the week is, is one that's uh, along the similar sort of vein. Yeah. Um, Kidderminster have had a fantastic uh, week or two and they've won in sort of every fashion. They battled back from losing a two goal lead to be Eastleigh. They sort of ground out a win at Boreham Wood. And in this game against Max, they just blew out the block, scored three times in the first half hour, played some lovely passing football. And the Max translation goal didn't come until the last minute of normal time. So, I mean, Kitty is showing that they can win games in any fashion at the moment, which I think is an incredibly promising team for a, for, for a team in their position. And I'm sure that it might also cause a jitters for Welling and Boreham Wood and and Halifax, to be honest, in the coming games, knowing that there's another relegation place they might well fall into. Well, that, that's the thing. Uh, as far as I see it, they, it is such a it's a big ask for them. But now they've got the tails up. It could be the way that they are going. As we say, they possibly will survive. But it's one of those situations. Would it actually be better for them to have a season down, consolidate, and then move forward, rather than hanging on by a scrape? skin of the teeth and going through it all again next year but I don't, I don't want to go uh, too much uh, into uh, Kidderminster I'll just say briefly that I, I think it would be a good thing for them to stay up now, I think had, had they still had the former chairman and the financial problems that he caused for the club then maybe going down a level wouldn't hurt them but now that the club are getting their finances back on track and are more sustainable I think it'll be a good thing moving forward for them if they can stay up so I still think they'll function all right if they do go down to the conference, probably north, possibly south. I, w- I would have thought, looking at the, the splits uh, and where they physically are in the country, they will be guaranteed if they do go down to going to the north because you would, I would have expect maybe Gloucester or Worcester to be shifted to the south um, yeah, rather than obviously Kitty going yeah. to the south. But... Um, it, so it'll be interesting to see and what a difference a change makes. Um, just to warn you, it's going to be a lot of Dave talking tonight because my internet connection here, I can't actually read half the stories. Every time I try and cl- click on it, I can't get it to load. So I'm hoping that I'm coming across all right. But uh, changes uh, to St Albans, I believe. Yeah, um, Ian Allenson, who was the boss of Boreham Wood and brought them up to uh, the National League Premier, um, left Boreham in November. I believe it was because the club had forced a move to daytime training, which clashed with his uh, out of football, outside of football job. Uh, but he's taken over as manager at St Albans. I think it's just till the end of the season. But they're down in the uh, National South and uh, I believe they're in a bit of a relegation battle. So he's got experience, you know, in the division, bringing bringing a team up from the division and things and. I know he's been in the game many years, so I think he's quite a, a solid choice and a sort of, you know, probably a good stopgap before they get someone in, in the summer. Yeah, so it, it's going to be a, a, an interesting interesting seat down there at St Albans because they're obviously struggling a little bit, being as um, they're very close to down there to Hamill Hempstead and I'm trying to work out... Uh, I can't get anything to load to actually work out who is above each other in uh, that division. 
Yeah, sorry, it's, it's <laughs> such an annoying thing. Right, so we're looking at uh, St Albans sitting there in 21st, and obviously they've got Hemel Hempstead, who are sitting there in 11th. And so you're looking there that the, the little talk, and they look very close to those, uh, the city to the town, and there's a lot of rivalry there. So it's interesting to see the Hemel going up. And say St Albans, twenty-eight games, twenty-three points. They're they're at that stage of the season. Yeah, there's what fourteen games or so to go, and they're only four points from safety. But it's always always dodgy when you've got less points than you have games played at this end. Absolutely, and I think I'd be more worried now because Western Supermare look likely candidates to going down until I'd say about mid, probably. Till about start of Jan actually, and have suddenly gone on a really good run and pretty much put themselves out of the picture. So it, it looks like a tight division down there. But I, I think the new managerial choice might might just be what keeps them up. I'll stick my neck on the line. I'll say they'll stay up. Well, that's the thing. He's he's got the pedigree, and uh, so he knows uh, he knows how to do it. And so it will be uh, interesting uh, to see um, what happens down there. But just, just something that's just literally just has caught my eye. Um, we mentioned travel a lot because obviously some of the distances for the clubs to travel uh, is astounding. And I just noticed that Oxford City, uh, as things stand at the minute, just about coming into half time uh, as we record, uh, they're playing there at, down there at Wilston. And they're just they're fighting for a playoff space. And it's just something I think that maybe the maybe because they were switched from the north, uh, Vanarama North to Vanarama South, and so it's interesting that maybe the less travel that they're having to do is actually coming to their favour. They can attract better players. The players aren't as tired because they're not travelling as far all the time, and so it's interesting to see how well that they're doing. I'd also say the north is a slightly stronger league. It tends to have more. Sort of formerly big name clubs like Boston, Stockport County, obviously FC United get quite big numbers. The average attendances are higher in the north, and I think the budget for quite a few clubs are a bit. And I still think the level at, at National South is good, don't get me wrong, but you know, I think that's also part of it. I think the north is a slightly more competitive division, certainly up the top. I, I like I'll, I'll agree with you there. Um, as uh, Trinity got a win at the weekend in the very competitive North over Hensford, uh, very very cold Keys Park. I was led to believe, uh, and I know you were there last season, Dave. So you know exactly what I mean. More recently, actually, it was uh, I was there in the November cold. Was it uh, November? Yeah, it was November. Yeah. It's last year, so it feels like last season. It just seems such a long time ago now. I know. Where is the time going? Because. Um, as I say, Trinity uh, got a win there. Uh, the burner bar wasn't cold because uh, the seating that we have, they have a nice little uh, heat <laughs> lamps. Places that are like Hughes Park. <laughs> it's it's cold in Madrid. It's about five six degrees tonight when I was walking back from the train station. So it's it's not uh, it's not, and Ilkeston, um, not far not far from me. Uh, nice little club, but wow. That's that's a definitely a, an interesting choice they've come up with there to allow eight of their first team squad to go. Yeah, I mean it's not 
entirely new. When, when I interviewed Kevin Wilson, he said that the focus for him when he was ill to Dunbar, and he was there for about five years, was to, to try and get young players to move on, to make a bit of money from players as they kind of matured, and then bring in more young players. It sounds like what they're doing now is uh, a bit of a more extreme version of that model. They've said it's to help bring in new investors, which seems like a bit of a separate issue to... I'm not sure whether most new investors are bothered about, you know, the youth setup and, and players moving on beyond financial means. So, I don't know, maybe you're a bit more financially minded than me, Chris, and what do you think of it? Well, it, I suppose reducing the wage bill will make things more of an investment opportunity, but allowing eight of your first team to leave to sign for some reasonable clubs. So you've got, you've got Joe Burgess has gone to Boston. You've got Joe Doyle uh, and Eli Baker both moved over there to Alfreton. So they've stepped up. And so you're just thinking, well, as an investor, I'd much rather have seen them make a little bit of cash out of those guys. Not a lot, but just a little bit. And yeah, if I was suppose if I was looking to invest, and the wage bill is always taken as a percentage of the turnover of the club, and if allowing these eight guys to leave takes it down to say fifty percent, fifty-five percent, then maybe it would seem to be a well-managed club from an outside financial perspective, because that's always the thing when you got your wage bill taking the vast majority of all your earnings, um, which is what you'd expect to some some degree, um, it's what causes the problems and becomes unsustainable because uh, you can't invest in the ground, you can't invest in off-the-field things uh, if all of your money's going to everything that's going on the field, uh, especially if they're, they're not actually um, delivering. That's the, I think that could be the, the other thing, the underlying thing that we've got there because it goes back to my little thing about... Uh, Ferriby, you know, North Ferriby, where they cleared out a few players and all of a sudden they're up there pushing for the top. Uh, so Ilkeston are sitting mid-table, uh, 31 games played, 42 points. So maybe they are just looking to uh, consolidate, think about next season and like possibly make themselves more attractive. I mean, it might well, from an investment perspective and in terms of bringing sort of fresh young players who are hungry for games into the side, it might well be a really good move, but it's also quite a big risk pretty much break, breaking up the backbone of the team and throwing, and presumably throwing a lot of young players in at the deep end and having them as regular starters partway through a season. I mean, it's they're too far above the relegation zone to go down. So I suppose if you're ever going to do it during the season, now would probably be the time. But it's, it's still quite a, it's a, it's quite a gamble for a club. I think I think courageous or bold is probably how most people would would call it, because it when you think at uh, a club like Ilkeston are probably only going to have maybe fourteen or fifteen first team players signed on uh, on a on contractual basis, and then they'll have the the fringe players who are on players you pay as you play and stuff like that to make it up to the seventeen eighteen that you'd want to take as a squad. It is a it's a huge gamble, really, to to ditch half of your squad uh, to say, yeah, let's let's start building for next year. Because mathematically, 
stranger things have happened. They're only 15 points above relegation zone. So it's it, they're obviously looking at, well, mid-table, I think they're going to be okay. I haven't seen their run-in, so I don't know how many games they've got against the lower lower, t- lower sides there. But uh, <clears throat> interesting um, results for Darlington and Salford of, of a 4-3 game there at the weekend, which uh, saw Darlington won, win 4-3. And while, yes, this, is, this sort of number is not... FC United um, sort of territory, but still 881 going to watch a uh, Evo Stick Premier match is a, a cracking numbers. It's brilliant, and I mean, when we talked about sustainability, I think Darlington deserve a lot of credit for the way they moved on from the Reynolds era and learned from all the horrific excesses of a 25,000 capacity ground, a man named after himself which is getting charges just under 3,000. So, I, and I think they do have a potentially point big support and they're showing that. And yeah, just, it's, it's good to see a club that's been, in the past, run so rapidly, now in the hands of people who, you know, making it sustainable. And, um, you know, great on Darlow for getting those crowds and all the, the people following them. Cause it, it is a terrific number. Fucking steps I'm just looking uh, up there at Blythe, uh, who are at home, and Blythe at the minute are seven points, eight points clear now. Um, so they, they've got it all to play for. Although, looking at this Darlington, yes, they've got that 12-point uh, deduction hanging over their heads, but I can't see them doing any misdemeanours are only 11 points back with four games in hand over Blythe. So wins like this away at Salford um, are very important for them. Uh, Blythe had 550 up there. Uh, so I know they were only against Ramsbottom, who may not have taken too many fans with them, uh, sitting in the, the really firmly rooted to the table, and Blythe ran away 5-0 winners. But it's still interesting. It's... I think we had a, a couple of you you weren't able to be on, but a couple of weeks ago we had a discussion about how tight some of these divisions are this year. I've just we can't recall as many clubs being in with a shout um, as what we've got there. Because say you could look at Darlington in third, they are eleven points away with a potential twelve points um, if they win every game. So it's so tight between the northeast rivals. And Workington are doing their best to keep up, and Salford are, are fallen away somewhat. Uh, whether or not it could be because Gary Neville's over in sunny Spain and doing his work over there at Valencia, I don't know. Because uh, it did seem to me from the documentaries, he was, him and Phil were the ones taking a more of an active role in uh, trying to support Salford. So it's a, it's another another strange and tight situation uh, is is the thing that's getting me where so yes, uh, I think the Southern League also uh, deserves a special mention Southern Premier for being a tight league because between um, Redditch United in third and Weymouth in eighth there are two points so uh, yeah it's just it's just not, I've, I've, I've never seen anything quite as uh, quite as tight as this I much prefer it because it really disappoints me when you get the runaway leaders and so everybody ends up playing for second. But even, you mentioned 
Redditch are there in fourth, and they've got they've got fifty two. Sorry, I'm looking at the up to date one with uh, Hungerford and Leamington playing today. Um, but uh, if, even if you look at that, they're still only. If you look at Redditch, they're only what eight points behind game in hand, so five maybe. If you take it, it's still oh, great I mean, to see. I mean, it's fantastic for the neutral and for fans generally because it means that every game you go to, pretty much, you you know there's a good chance of it being being tight and competitive. And if you look at the results in that league over the weekend, I think there was the biggest gap a team won by was two goals. And there were two different four threes, so uh, yeah, it's fantastic entertainment. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just it is a tight in which. Hello. Keeps everybody interested. It hopefully keeps the fans going. And it was your end. I, I couldn't. Remember. I say is is the way you actually want it to be because you want to keep it tight. You want to keep the fans going and keep everybody interested. Um, whereas it'll drop off if you're going to get to see a team who are 20 points clear at this stage of the season, knowing that we've got a limited number of games left between 12 and 14. If yeah, you absolutely. you've played your teams. But I was just going to say, we've, we're going to go... Last week, we went for Kidderminster, who got their first win um, since the 2014... Was it March last year, I believe it was, wasn't it? Yeah, their right. first away win. And you found another one, Aylesbury United. Um, their first away win since uh, October last year, and that's that's your vote for Team of the Week. But I think, for me, it's, it's who they actually beat. Yeah, um, they beat, uh, they won away at third in the Leeds St. Ives, and the results actually um, pulled Aylesbury United outside of the relegation zone. Uh, I haven't seen any highlights from it, but by the sounds of it, a, um, a lovely goal from Bruno Brito, following a cross from substitute Reese Cameron. So, and Leighton and Kingsland, Leighton lost to Kings Langley, sorry, and North Greenford drew against Royston. So it's. Um, like I said, it's pulled them out of the relegation zone. So well done to uh, Aylesbury United. You're our, my team of the week nomination. Oh. <laughs> and I think, I think uh, as that's the only nomination for team of the week, because uh, obviously with James being on paternity, uh, he didn't mind you to send out his normal tweets. I've just uh, didn't finish work until uh, uh, half a si- half a six, half a seven, whatever time it is. They are the team of the week, uncontested. And I think Bruno Brito having the name like that is also perfect. So that's just one of those nice, uh, nicer things to double up there. But I'm going to click on this link that you've given me for the player of the week and I'll let you talk about him. Sure, I'm just loading it up as well to check I've, uh, I've got all my facts right. Yep, it is a uh, Tim Grice of Leek Town. Uh, Leek cruised to victory over Gresley, and Tim Grice scored his hundredth goal for the club when he netted in the twenty-third minute. Um, the win took um, took Leek to sixth place in the league. 
just a point behind Spalding United, who are in the Boston playoff place. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, there's so much movement of players with kind of short-term contracts and, as Christian was saying, sort of pay-as-you-play deals that to stay at a club long enough and to be a good enough goal scorer to get, you know, a centre of goals for a club at any level, but especially at non-leagues, is a fantastic achievement. So, yeah, well done, Tim Dry. Superb. No, I, I agree. It's, it's one of the things I know that Rob said uh, in the past uh, when he's done Phil's uh, secretarial duties for Hampton and stuff, that uh, it's one thing you know that you have players jumping around. We had a, the incident, we've already mentioned Darlington, uh, where we've had a player not just at Darlington, uh, but also other clubs in that local area up there who've been fallen foul Is pretty pretty good nowadays. So I'm I'm happy to say yes that uh, Tim Grice with his turn up is now um, is now going to be our, our, t- our player of the week to go in there. Now I know it's a little bit of a short one, uh, partly because of the dodgy connections and the fact it's taken forever to get everything working at my end. But this is James isn't here. And I'm, I know you say it's harsh, Dave, but I'm going to fill in, I'm going to edit in the uh, the little bit of music we have for the and finally. You'll just have to ignore the fact it says da- uh, James and we want it to say Dave, but this has to be the and finally to me, even though I'm a goalkeeping fan. Yeah, it's uh, Lincoln keeper Paul Farman. Uh, Lincoln was 3-2 up away at Altrincham. Um, in the second half, and Farman decided to wow the Lincoln fans in the crowd behind him by attempting some keepy-ups, not realising that ulti striker Damian Reeves was there, bearing down on him, and after, I think, his third or fourth, fourth keepy-up, I think, Reeves just nipped in and knocked the ball into the back of the net. So, um, Paul Farman's a good keeper, and I've seen him play really well this season, but from a neutral point of view, very, very funny moment. And uh, one one I don't think he'll be trying again. It's, um, it's on yeah. the Mirror website, the, clip, the video of it. And it's obviously on the National League Highlight Show. And I'm sure you'll be able to find it on YouTube or whatever. So it's uh, it's well worth uh, watch, watching. And it's one for the uh, How Not To Keepers manual. Well, that's the thing. It's um, I watch. Obviously, my my son's a keeper. I used to be a goalkeeper, and so I always watch for things like this. And the first rule, as soon as he saw Damien Rees chasing him down uh, after he took his second touch, he would have thought that I should have gone through that ball. It should have been Rose. It should have been out of the park if needs be, um, but. You don't do that sort of thing there. And obviously, Damien Rees, he's a keen player. He's got a good eye, and good reactions. But, and Paul Farman is actually a cracky goalkeeper. And that's the thing. He's a very good goalkeeper. He's saved Lincoln a few times. And so for him to call to cost them three points, is it's unfortunate for him. But it is one of those funny stories that you, can, you can't help but just say, no, nah, it's, it's got to be an unfamily that because... It, it reminds you, you, you've got a certain thing, a certain mentality when you're a goalkeeper. Because sometimes you have nothing to do, other times you, your, your team can win. 
uh, can lose 7-1 and you're still man of the match. Because uh, if you think of some of the, let's say, charismatic um, and erratic performances of a number of goalkeepers over the years. Uh, it's... I spent several years watching Fabian Barthez. And at first it's funny. And it was funny when I remember he dribbled round a couple of strikers and passed the ball out. And then he tried it a couple of minutes, months later and uh, dribbled it straight to Thierry Henry and basically cost us a United a title. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of picking your moments, I think. It is, because I also remember back in one of the World Cups when like, Rene Aguita was standing at the halfway line having a chat with his defender when uh, the Cameroonian guy just skinned them both and uh, put it in the back of the net. <laughs> it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things. And uh, you've got such a sway on the match uh, because we had one a few weeks ago where we actually said it was that it was a credited own goal for the defender who went to clear it at the halfway line up the other end of the pitch but the wind took it and it blew bounced over the keeper and into the back of the net um, so we have seen a couple uh, in recent times and as the pitches get worse with it being midwinter and as the weather gets to its uh, hopefully the uh, the bottom of its trough of horribleness um this sort of thing will happen um but looking at the ulti pitch there it it looks a reasonable pitch, and so you can't blame that. He's just going to say he was trying too much, and I wouldn't like to have been him as he turned around and got that ball in front of Lincoln fans. Or in the dressing room afterwards. It has been a short one tonight uh, because of uh, one thing and another, but... Uh, Dave, I see the Forest Green match report was up there on Under the League. Uh, anything else? Uh, what we got planned for this weekend? Um, fingers crossed uh, with scheduling and everything. But I'm hoping to be at uh, Marsh Rose for Max game against Dover. Haven't been, haven't been. I was going to say down to Max. It's literally just down the road um, for a little while. So looking forward to that. Yeah, and um, thanks, Chris and Firth for having me on, and thanks everyone for listening and. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at GoldenVision90. Cheers. No, I'm, I heard that. I think he said you're off to Macclesfield. It's hard for me. Uh, it, it decided to go I rubbish on this one. Yeah, yeah it's hard. it went rubbish on my end uh, this time. I, um, I'm hoping... the reason Part of the reason we use Google Hangouts to record this, so if you ever want to listen live, you can go to the Google... Um, a non-league podcast page uh, and you can watch us post our live streams you can listen to the ramblings you can interact with us live you can also follow us on twitter at non-league pod um but really we've got we, we always thank i always try to uh, thank other people as well so we've got yourself dave once again thank you for making it happen tonight because really it's been down to you you've filled out everything to do with the running and, uh, you've got to uh, produce a good show for us um, i don't know whether you, i couldn't I couldn't work out whether you said your Twitter, but we'll just say it again at Vision 90 just so everybody knows they can follow your puns and follow your travels, because uh, you do get around the grounds, which is good for us as a uh, podcast, because you've always got a good story coming out. Uh, you can always follow James. Uh, he's at Under the League. If you go to underleague.com, you'll be able to see some of Dave's writings, plus other ones, because he's got a few people writing for him. He is going to be out of action for a couple of weeks, uh, as the little baby takes priority, and hopefully Rob will be back with us next week at, at Rabid Robo, uh, he's down there at uh, Hampton and Richmond Borough. Uh, he's uh, hopefully going to be recovered fully for his back next week. But really, whatever you've been doing, I uh, thank you for listening.
Mm-hmm.